Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Good morning, Oak City Church. Thanks for tuning in with us this morning. If you're uh, brand new, we are glad that you've decided to um, to be with us this Sunday morning or Sunday evening or whatever it is that you might be watching this. We can't wait to meet you in person and hope you join us uh, when we re- when we return to to um, in person services. Thanks to the band for uh, all the work that they put in this week to give us to give us a band and uh, that the, all of them did a phenomenal job adapting in all of this. This week was quite a bit of extra work, particularly on Jake's part. So we're really grateful for. Uh, for that and for them and again look forward to being back in the same room together and thanks for the comments about last week and the interview with Pastor Kel Um, I I think it says a lot to the folks that have been a part of Be the Bridge and and our partnership and relationship friendship with Chosen Generation that we're in a place where that conversation was really natural and you guys know Pastor Kel and so you can hear from him and um, that'd be really meaningful. And I appreciate having heard about uh, the conversations that you've had with friends this week and how those have impacted you and been meaningful to you. So as I said last week, the goal there, we're not, we're not going to fix this in a, in a couple weeks or a couple months and move on. But, but part of what we need to do is embrace the tension that we have brothers and sisters that have been living with this their whole lives, this tension, and we need to step into that tension and then see what we can do um, to, to bring about the change that's necessary. Now, for the next two weeks, we're going to go back to our Art of Neighboring series, and we're going to finish up that series. Um, this is, you know, this is a series that that uh, thousands of churches across the country have done. It came out of this little anecdote we've talked about in Colorado, where a bunch of pastors went to their mayor and said, "Hey, how can we be a blessing to our city?" And at the end of the day, uh, the woman said, "Hey, just just like start a neighboring movement. If you just be better neighbors, if people were just better neighbors, then we wouldn't need a lot of the programs we have." And they, it was almost prophetic to them that she said, hey, just do what Jesus told you to, and then we would all be better off. <laughs> and they were like, right. And so this series is, is a getting back to the basics of what does it mean to love your neighbor? What are some practical things that we have to do to love our neighbors? And so we talked about, you know, a block map and making sure you know the names and some basic stuff about your neighbor and maybe some really in-depth stuff about your neighbor. And we talked about uh, time and making some time for your neighbors. And um, so w- and we talked about time. We talked about fear. Um, a couple, couple weeks ago, Dan talked about fear and overcoming that fear. And just as an FYI, he did talk to the neighbor that he referenced that he wasn't able to talk to. He had a conversation with her. So there you go. And uh, getting over that. And this week, we're going to be talking about th- that relations, real relationships have a give and take to them. And so you, you need to be willing um, to do that. And, um, and just how important that is. And this is going to feel a little bit, all of this whole series feels a little bit like kindergarten and like this is kind of basic stuff, but sometimes you need to go back uh, to the basics. Uh, when I do wedding rehearsals, you know, and you got to figure out where to go. And I, I'll tell people, this: it, you learned all this stuff in kindergarten. This shouldn't take us very long. It's walking in a straight line and standing still and keeping your hands to yourself. And this series, in some ways, is um, some really basic stuff, but stuff that is, is really helpful for us. So I'm going to read from a passage in John chapter 4 of an interaction that Jesus had with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. And there's some things we're going to take out of that. I'm going to make just two points, and those points are that nobody wants to be a project and that you have to be vulnerable in order to have real relationships. And then we're going to 
um, listen to uh, Jake and Becca talk. They shot a video, and they are some of the best neighbors I know, meaning they're just really intentional about carving time out of their schedule and being vulnerable with the people around them and really praying and seeking what God wants to do. And so I think that's going to be encouraging and challenging as well for us. So here is uh, the passage from John chapter 4. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, he left Judea and departed for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well and it was about the sixth hour. So he's traveling with his disciples um, from the south to the north of Israel, has to pass through Samaria. That they don't get along with the Samaritans. That's why the Good Samaritan is kind of ironic in that parable. And um, his, it's the sixth hour. It's about noon. And he's tired and he's thirsty and he's by the well. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus said, If you knew the gift of God and who it was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well. He drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So here's the first thing I want to draw out of this. No one wants to be a project. No one wants to be a project. Jesus doesn't, doesn't come to this woman saying, you need me, but he puts himself in a position where he needs her help, and he lets her know that. It's almost in some ways opposite of the Good Samaritan story where Jesus says, who was the one that was his neighbor? And it's the one who was merciful to him, the one who met his need. Sometimes to be a good neighbor, you have to let yourself be helped. You have to, like, offer up the needs that you have so that the people around you can meet them. Would you, um, have you ever been in a relationship with somebody whose primary reason for, like, being in that relationship was either to change you or to benefit them? Have you ever been in a relationship like that? You felt like they have their agenda, you're a tool for accomplishing their agenda, they know everything, they're not really interested in what you know. Um, they're not interested in you, but getting something from you and then moving on. Uh, a lot of people I hear talk about their workplace like this, like either their boss is using them to get to wherever their boss wants to be, or they have coworkers um, that they feel like are just trying to climb over them to get to the next place. And so you don't have real friendships there because um, it's a, you're a commodity to them. I've heard a lot of people over the years complain about Christians in this way, or heard Christians talk this way, you know, really that it comes across like the only reason they're engaging folks outside their church that don't know Christ is to convert them. And I don't think that's a good way to understand Jesus' command to love your neighbor. I don't think that's what he means. You go back to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, the Good Samaritan never has a conversation with the neighbor that he helps. They never talk. Uh, he's not trying to convert them. He's loving. That's his agenda. His agenda is to care for the needs of this person, um, to love the person. And, and 
there's like there's something in we have to approach this as being agendaless. You know, our agenda is to love. I don't know if you've ever had a, fr- a friend or a family member, or maybe you've been the family member that got involved with Amway or anything like like Amway. I wish I could. I wish we were here so I could see your faces right now. We ha- we don't have anybody right now. The latest one of these that I've heard of is a thing called Rodanthin Fields, and I, I don't know if anyone's involved with it, and so it's fine. I, in years past, I have known it because. People have been complaining that they're getting approached in the church lobby about doing this thing, and that's kind of what b- gets difficult about those things is that, you know, when, I, when we first got married, we have a ton of Pampered Chef stuff still in our kitchen because it was Pampered Chef, and so my wife was always invited to these parties, and he always felt like you had to buy something because people threw this party and fed you, and um, man, way back, I dated a girl that sold these baskets, and it's like the baskets was the thing, and it's been... Um, people did crystal for a while and candles. I don't even know. All Tupperware was one of them and Am- Amway and other ones. And I've joked that it's like all a pyramid scheme that leads back to the devil. And it's not like, but, and I sold Kirby vacuum cleaners for a few weeks. I've talked about that before. And my son actually just got approached to sell Cutco knives. And we're like, oh, I don't know if you want to do that. And he decided not to. And you should be thankful because he'd be contacting you right now, asking you about your knife collection. You can, you can do that stuff. Um, there's nothing immoral about doing that stuff, but it's really, really hard to be engaged in that without compromising all of your relationships because people feel like they are your project, like you're engaging them so that you can benefit yourself in some way. Everybody around you starts to feel like they are a means to your end, and that is how we as Christians at times can come across like we want people to know Jesus so that we can justify ourselves (laughs) so that we can feel better about ourselves not because we with all our heart believe that's what's best for them and that's a problem because nobody wants to be a project there's language that we use um, in the church about a, a couple big passages in the Bible and one of them is the great commandment you know in Matthew 28 go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I command you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. These are the last words of Jesus recorded in Matthew 28, and and it fits. I mean, there's another gospel where his last words are, go and make disciples. Um, When he calls his disciples, it's, it's follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I mean, this is what it's about, is making disciples, you know, so we call that the great commandment, or commission, sorry, I screwed the great commission, the great commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. You know, what's the most important commandment? Love God with all your heart, strength, heart, mind, strength, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. But these two, the great commission and the great commandment, they work together. They work together. If the only reason you engage someone is to make a disciple of them, that's not really wrong because you're following the great commandment, but it's in commission but it's incomplete because you're not following the great commandment necessarily you know Um, you kind of have to ask yourself would I fully love somebody if I knew they were never going to come to faith in Jesus or I'd never get to talk to them about Jesus for some of you that sounds like a stupid question for others of you it's a really convicting question because you're like whoa would I and the answer to that has to be yes you would because that's the great commandment is to love your neighbor uh, with no strings attached to it if you're not doing that for their benefit but for years to somehow justify yourself to feel like you're being a good Christian uh, by doing the thing then then they become a project for you and love isn't a project Uh, love is asking for the power of God to work through you to love somebody the way that you've been loved by Christ unconditionally 
And these two things, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, work hand in hand. If you're doing the Great Commandment well and loving people, then you're going to naturally do the Great Commission and talk to them about Jesus because you're going to get to know them, and Jesus means a lot to you, and that's what people in relationships do is they talk about what means a lot to them, and you're going to want them to know um, that Jesus loves them. And so you're going you're gonna to do the Great Commission and you're going to share the gospel with them. And your neighbor is probably going to receive the gospel better because they know you really care about them and this isn't some bait and switch so you can feel better about yourself. It's a heart issue and there's nuance with it. And we tend to focus as individual churches and individual times in our lives and individual times in the, in the history of the church, we tend to focus more on one or the other. Like the great commandment is more important or the great commission is more important. And over time, I've come to, to, to think of them like rails on a train track. And you need both of them or the train goes off the rails, you know, and it ain't going anywhere. And we as Christians, we're called to do both. We're called to make disciples and we're called to love our neighbor as ourself. And those things are equally important and they work together and yet they're independent of each other and we need to do both. So no one wants to be a project. No one wants to be a project. Here's the second thing. You have to be vulnerable to have a real friendship. You have to be vulnerable to have, to, to have a real friendship at the risk of being, um, um, you know, stereotypical. I, I feel like women, that comes more naturally. Not, uh, not all, but, but a lot. Most women are probably like, duh, like, of course. And men are like, what does that mean again? And like, what do you mean I have to be vulnerable? Like, what are you saying? There's something wrong with me. You know, like, we just, it's just not natural for us. I'll never forget my, um, my old boss at our old church doing our, our premarital counseling. One of our sessions was myself and Bobby Joe. He, he had, we were sitting at dinner at like Chili's and Carrie. They don't even think he's there anymore. And he, sa- he looked at my wife, future wife, and he said, Bobby Joe, you have to understand one thing that's going to be really important for all this. He said, men have huge egos. Men have huge egos. I don't think she understood that na- then, and, and now I think she probably has like a PhD in it, you know. But we just, we come at this differently, and vulnerability, I think, is harder for, um, for guys. But it's saying for a friendship to be a friendship, it has to be on even terms. But a lot of times, we come, and I think especially guys, with our def- we come trying to prove ourselves, you know, um, and with our defenses up. And in this passage, it's just something fascinating about this. You know, Jesus is... is um, wearied from his journey so he's tired he's sitting beside the well it's the sixth hour it's hot out and he says to her give me a drink uh help you know i have a need please meet my need uh he comes to her in the need uh there's another passage that where a woman pours perfume she anoints jesus feet and she is giving a blessing to jesus and he receives that blessing the art of being able to receive from the people around you and admitting if not a need, like just, but that's appropriate in the moment. There's kind of the opposite of that is when Jesus is washing his disciples' feet, and Peter's like, you're not washing my feet. Like he has a problem receiving from Jesus, and I totally recognize that in myself, that I have a problem receiving from the people around me at times. I've recognized I have a hard time saying thank you. Um, because somehow that implies that I needed what you did for me. And that's really lame, but it's true, um, because there's a pride in there uh, that doesn't want to admit that. And I think that's part of having these real uh, relationships. Jesus highlights his need. He doesn't start with, you need me, but he starts with, I need you. And this just, this is, this fits Jesus. You know, Jesus left his position of glory in heaven, emptied himself, 
and took on flesh to walk among us, to, to take on needs, to be hungry, to be thirsty, to have to sleep, to engage in these relationships so he could be in this position. He made himself needy and in some ways to make a, himself approachable for us. We don't need to do that, right? We don't need to do that. Um, that should come easy for us because we're needy. You know, I'm your pastor. I know you're needy. We're needy people. You're a mess. You're a mess. And don't be afraid to show that to your neighbors, to the people around you, because that's what real relationships are about. But I think that often we come at this from a position of superiority, like we have it figured out and they don't, and I have something that they need, and so let me help them and give it to them. And there's really an element of control in that that we don't want to give up. Um, and it's not, it's not so different from the way we approach all our relationships, that in our insecurity, we put our best foot forward. We want people to see certain parts of our life and person where we have it all together, but not the parts of our life and person where we're a mess, because uh, no one really wants to be needy. But that's, that is crucial. Like, your best friends know everything about you. And someone said about the neighboring series, they said, we're friendly with our neighbor, but we're not friends. And I think this is part of taking that step to being friends with your neighbors, and it's where the power of God shows most evidently. So Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul says that the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul said, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And, and that's, I mean, that's how part of how God is going to work through you is by letting people in on your weaknesses and, and how you need Christ. Um, as Christians, we should be the first to say, I don't have my stuff together. Like, because that's why we need Jesus so much <laughs> and how we came to know it is because we realized how little we have together. But to do that, you have to be willing to risk facing some rejection or people looking down on you or whatever. And often we do the opposite. We think we have to act like we have all our stuff together or people won't think that we're very good Christians or this Christianity thing works, you know. But that's just not true. It's just not true. Um, I, I mentioned this I don't, probably every six to 12 months. Some of you are thinking, no, more often than that. But there's a church in Nashville. Their, their mantra, their Emmanuel is the name of their church. Their, the, the mantra is, I'm a complete idiot. My future is incredibly bright. Anybody can get in on this. And that's how they express the gospel to the people around them. And it's, it fits this, right? I'm a complete idiot. This isn't about me or my power or my strength. It's about Christ and his power and his strength. My future is incredibly bright. This is great news for everybody, and anybody can get in on this. And that fits with, I think, what they're getting at here with the art of receiving and having real relationships. And if you're new to Oak City Church and you've just been tuning in for the last week, this is how we understand the good news of Jesus. Like Christianity is not about us living up to some standard um, and maybe God will approve of us because we've done good enough. That's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is you couldn't live up to the standard that God created you to live up for. So he sent Jesus to, to show you what that looks like, to show you the beauty of the life that God created us for, to pay the consequences that are a result of our inability to live that out. And that's what Jesus did on the cross, and that is messaged throughout the whole Bible. And then to give us the power, the same spirit that raised him from the dead, he gives to us so that we can begin the process of becoming like him. And that is uh, the good news 
It's not about what we do for God, but what he has done for us in the life, death, and resurrection in Christ. And so we don't need to worry so much about what our neighbors think about us because our value is found not in what the people around us think about us, but what, what God thinks about us, and we know that because of Christ. And that's the love we are seeking to love our neighbors with. And the extent to which we don't want to open up to the people around us is really probably the extent to which we find our identity in our own performance instead of Christ's performance. Like, our struggle to do this is itself a gospel issue. Now, you read forward in that story, and this opens up an interaction between Jesus and the woman. She expresses a complete surprise that he would even have this conversation with her, like, why are you talking to me? You're a man, and I'm a woman. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We're not supposed to be doing this. And I think something similar happens when you go deep with people and start talking about things um, that really matter, and even particularly in, in this day with our neighbors, because people aren't used to having good neighbors and, and them becoming friends. Um, and there's an irony in that, in that Jesus is, in fact, in a superior position, uh, but this woman, but comes, to, but comes to her like he's not in a superior position, and we are not in a superior position, but we try to come off like we are, <laughs> and um, we need to, to follow his example in that. So people don't like to be a project, and you need to be open and vulnerable and give and receive in order to make real friendships. Watch this. Um, we're going to spend a few minutes watching this video of Jake and Becca and just how God used their, their, um, their efforts, their prayer, their relationships that God brought them to, um, to, to lead people closer to him. Let me finish this talk um, in uh, just, uh, just like two minutes here. The mark of a Christian is grace. That's the mark of a Christian. They understand that they need it. We understand how much we need the grace of God. I've started doing this app on my phone at like a daily office. Um, it's a reminder to pray three or four times a day. And the first one every morning is a confession. It's like, merciful Father, I confess that I've sinned against you in thought and word and deed by the things that I've done and the things I've left undone. And it's a great, it's a great way to start my day because it, it, he speaks into that, the mercy of God and this reminder of how much I need it and a reminder of the abundance in which he's provided it. And we need that. We need that because we can resist it, but we need it. So we understand we need it. We understand the cost at which we received it. You know, for this, the gospel is that we're more sinful than we ever imagined, but more loved than we ever dared hope. And we freely give it. We freely give it to the people around us. It's not our job to change people. It's God's job. It's not our job to judge people, but to give people the good news of whatever judgment we have. Christ has taken it on him um, in, in our place. It's our job to love our neighbors and deliver the message of the gospel as ambassadors. Um, what are, the, what are the, you know, practically for you and as you engage your neighbors, really I think that comes down to what are the people around you have to give that you can receive, you know? And that can be a lot of things. It can be, I got a guy across the street who works for um, Site One, John Deere's lawn thing, and so I'm asking him all the time to help me because my lawn's awful, you know? And he's more than willing to help. What are the people around you? What what talents, what gifts, what skills, um, what stories do they have? You know, have a potluck in your neighborhood where everybody gives the blessing of a meal and part of the benefit of just getting to know people over a meal because it's around a common need. We really need to eat. If we don't eat, we're going to die. And so we meet around our common need around the table. And, um, and so arrange that. 
in your neighborhood and have everybody contribute to it. We did that at Christmas. We had a like a little Christmas get together and everybody brought a dessert or an hors d'oeuvre or something. And so I had to go around to people's houses and get their email addresses. And I honestly like was nervous doing it. I'm like, these people aren't gonna wanna do this and they're not gonna wanna hang out with us. And and I, I was asking them for something. I was asking them to be interested in it. You know, I was putting myself in their whatever and, and presenting a need and God used that and he's gonna continue to use that and it's gonna be great. Um, and people, and know this, the people, what what people can give the most is themselves. Man, people are fascinating when you get to know them. Um, everybody's got stories. Everybody's got joys. Everybody's got burdens. Everybody's made in the image of God and loved by him deeply. And so what we want to have happen is that God uses us to show um, the, the deep love that he has for them. Father, we come to you, and, and I do ask that you would challenge us in the ways that we need to be challenged. Wherever it is that, that we need to take... Um, another step either we're thinking wrongly about the relationships we have with the people around us that we always have to act like we have our act together or we like we're just missing something about the gospel and that we are justifying ourselves with what people think about us and so we're scared to show them um, the deep places uh, where we need lord where we don't have it together where we are truly seeking you but that's where your power is shown god and so I pray that you would help us to form um, real genuine friendships with the people around us. And that's going to take just a lot of trust in you, uh, that you're in control, that you're going to do what you're going to do, and we just have to play our part, Lord. And so would you build our faith? Would you help us to take steps? And would we see you work uh, for your glory? We love you, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.